Hello and welcome to the Bristol to Beijing podcast. I'm Luke Grenfell-Shaw and I'm cycling from Bristol to Beijing on my tandem Chris. I left Bristol in January 2020 and it's fair to say it hasn't been straightforward so far. As I continue my expedition, I want to share the journey with you. And each episode, I'll be sharing my thoughts and experiences from the past week on the road. And occasionally, I'll also be chatting with someone who can shed some light on the country I'm in as I try and understand the world a little better. So, without further ado, what's happened this past week? So, Luke, where are you? Right now, I'm in Georgia, which is incredibly exciting because this isn't a country that I thought I'd actually get to visit on this trip. Its borders have been very closed for a good six months, and I thought it was going to be so sort of jinxed. And the one country I wanted to go to the most, I wouldn't be able to visit at all. Why was Georgia a place that you desperately wanted to go to so much? I think it's because I'd seen photos of the capital, Tbilisi, and it just looks stunning. Multicolored houses cobbled roads it seemed to have a really nice mix between old buildings and sort of quaint architecture and then a more modern flux running through the city but also russian is very widely spoken in georgia and it's got mountains it's got the seaside it just seemed to have a country with so much that i love i was really really excited to come and visit this past week i started in rize and I cycled along the Black Sea to the border with Georgia. At the border, I had quite a funny discussion with the Turkish border guards because they looked at my passport and they said, well, where's your e-visa? And I said, well, I, I didn't have an e-visa. And they're like, oh, no, but you absolutely need to have an e-visa. And I got quite worried at this point because I knew I hadn't had one. And I went on the, <laughs> the FCO website and they said, no, no, you don't need an e-visa. So it was kind of some quite nerve jangling minutes later that they gave me back my passport and I got through into Georgia and we talked about it a little bit last week, but quite exceptional circumstances that involved the Georgian government getting on board. And that has very much changed the complexion of the trip because apparently every tourism board knows about my journey. And I think I'm the only tourist in Georgia right now. When you say every tourism board, do you mean every Georgian tourism board? basically in all the different regions yeah every regional tourism board here in georgia seems to know about my trip and i am their only tourist it would appear so i feel incredibly fortunate because they are lavishing (laughs) attention on me my mum who's come out and join and mike who's come out to join and film the georgian leg of this trip so it's been incredibly packed these first few days with a whole load of different things A question we were asked last week by Joey Gumpels was, is travel across borders and getting visas difficult at the moment? Now, you obviously mentioned that travelling into Georgia is unusual, but what was it actually like crossing the border between Turkey and Georgia? Did you notice any particular differences between the two countries as you went across the border? Uh, Yeah, that's a really interesting question. So actually, the border crossing process was very straightforward on the Georgian side, one of the more straightforward border crossings, but that's because there'd been some blessing from higher up and there wasn't a queue or anything, there was no one there and I just got my passport stamped and I went straight through. And it's funny that there are differences that you notice quite early on. And they're not the differences that I expected. Okay. So when I was in Turkey, 
every food shop had a huge array of fresh fruit and vegetables. And even in the smallest corner shop, there would be a big bucket of olives. Yeah. Now, in Georgia, it seems like all of this fresh fruit and vegetables have sort of dried up. They absolutely exist, but they're much more difficult to find. And there isn't this wealth of fresh fruits and vegetables. And the only olives that you find are in tins. So suddenly by like crossing a border, you are plugged into a totally different supply network. So you suddenly can't get produce from the same place. And on my way to the border, I saw about 500 lorries queuing for about 15 kilometers before the border there was just lorry after lorry after lorry queuing to cross the border yeah queuing to cross the border and they were from georgia from turkey from azerbaijan from uzbekistan tajikistan kazakhstan wow from all over the place and there was just this huge huge backlog of lorries so you think that any fresh produce would have gone off by the time you get anywhere near batumi and we have people saying that their queues in um, Dover post-Brexit are bad. Obviously, it sounds like the Turkish and Georgian border has similar problems. Yeah, no, anyone complaining about that, they should have some sympathy for the Tajik driver who's waiting there for two or three days just to, to cross the border. It seems bizarre that man-made constructs such as international border crossings between countries create such differences within a few miles of each other. Yeah, it's so striking that you have to remind yourself that it's actually essentially the same piece of coastline. Whereas in Turkey, I would say passing towns that all look pretty similar, apartment blocks that were all built around the same time. Mm -hmm. And then I arrive in Batumi and there's so much variety and variation that could have been there in Turkey, mm-hmm. but wasn't. What was an outlying post of Turkey, like the last town, Hopper, mm. that's sort of about as far away from Istanbul as you can get. Mm. And then suddenly, 20 miles on, you've got Batumi, which is the sort of second city of Georgia, and it's this big, big hub. And so although these two cities are very close, their roles that they play in each country are vastly different. How long did you spend in Batumi? I spent two days in Batumi, but my Georgian adventure started before I even got to Batumi. Okay. What happened? It was pouring down with rain, um, but (laughs) I stopped by the side of the road to change my final Turkish lira. And out of the corner of my eye, I saw someone like waving towards me at the end of this line of buildings. And I was like, come over, come over. And I was like, "Mm, I'm just here to change my lira, but fine, I'll check it out. And there was some guy cleaning a mountain bike bright fluorescent yellow with purple metal detailing so obviously a similar color taste in his bikes as you do nice and bright and vibrant oh yeah absolutely i we immediately hit it off despite not sharing a common language because the guy only spoke georgian but it was his dad who had waved towards me and he spoke russian so we could have a chat and he was like well what are you doing and i was just saying i'm doing this cycle ride is there anywhere that i can get some coffee that's my number one question. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, just wait a couple of minutes. And I went and changed my lira. I came back. He had made some coffee for me, for himself. He was called Mirabi and for his friend Jabba. And mm-hmm. we we're about to start drinking it. And I thought, you know, I need to say something. So I said, which means cheers. But it's what you do with spirits. Okay. And that gave Mirabi all the excuse that he needed. He's like, wait one second. He goes inside, comes back with this sparkling mineral water bottle, which is full of cha-cha, which is the homebrew. What time of day was this? Three o'clock in the afternoon. 
Okay. So a glass of coffee turned into a shot of cha-cha. And then I was doing this on a very empty stomach, which is another story in itself. And he brought out some bread. So I was attacking this bread. And then one shot turned into three shots, turned into four shots. And then before they let me go, I had five shots of cha-cha. And you still had to cycle. Well, they were like, oh, it's fine. It's fine. Actually, it's going to help you. You're going to have more power on the road. You won't notice the rain. (laughs) You know, you're not going to feel a thing. And I was like, yeah, if I... Magical homebrew. (laughs) Exactly. I was like, "If yeah, you're right. If I have an accident, I probably just won't even notice. I'll just carry on cycling. (laughs) You'll bounce. Exactly. (laughs) So I was focusing very hard (laughs) between there and Batumi just to be like, okay, it is a straight line. It's me that's wobbling. (laughs) (laughs) So I, I did get to Batumi in one piece, which was... A relief. That is good to know. <laughs> and then when you arrived in Batumi, what were your particular sort of immediate impressions of the city? Well, just how varied it was that there were these you know, Soviet era apartment blocks on one hand, and then there were these cobbled streets in, a, in another part. There were buildings that looked like they'd been taken from Shoreditch, almost like warehouses that had been converted into apartments. Hipster yeah. style. And then like Georgian townhouses and then these glass and concrete skyscrapers, one of which has a miniature London eye in it. It's got an eight bubble golden London eye in it. So it's very kitsch, I would say. Sounds extraordinary. Um, You know, and there are these souped up cars that were driving up and down the road. Batumi is the party hub of Georgia. There are casinos. There's a huge amount of investment. New apartment blocks shooting up everywhere. You've got your Sheraton, your Mm -hmm. Marriott Hotel. The Marriott Hotel looks like a spaceship. It's this sort of white oval disc that shoots up into the sky and overlooks the park and the Black Sea. So there was so much Mm -hmm. variety and it was just startling to realise that this sort of could be done pretty much anywhere on the Black Sea coast. And yet this was the first time I'd seen it. And it's fascinating to think that actually, you know, different policies, amounts of international investment, planning laws, Mm -hmm. all have a huge impact in a cumulative way on what a city feels like. And it was a lot of fun to be in Batumi. You said you've had a very busy time because the Georgian tourist boards don't have any other tourists to entertain. Was anything arranged for you whilst you are in Batumi by the regional tourist board? Yeah, the Ajara tourist board were just incredible. And I'm not getting paid anything for them. Yes, they did organise some amazing things. But what it felt like was that they were just really, really keen and passionate to show me the best things about the region. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's just a sign that they were doing their jobs incredibly well. But I tell you what, I did have just an amazing time. So the first evening that mum and Mike were there, they took us up into the mountains to this chateau where they make their own wine. I have known that Georgia is famous for wine. What I know of Georgia is wine and Stalin. Right. I'm sure I'm going to learn a lot more over the next few weeks from you. Indeed. Well, Stalin's favourite wine apparently came from Georgia. That's one fact for you. And it seems that how Georgians view Stalin is quite mixed. Um, Certainly amongst the younger generations, they almost disown him. That's what Misha, who's from the uh, Ajaro Tourist Board, said. They just almost don't see him as being Georgian. They would much rather think of him as being 
perhaps Soviet. Though talking to Mary from a, a different tourist board today, she was saying actually, well, the older generation, those who fought in World War II, tend to still see Stalin as a great figure, whereas the younger generation tend to see him very differently in much more negative terms. Understandable. But on a lighter note, if we're looking for a little bit of entertaining stuff about Georgia, the language seems to be mostly made up of consonants. And I was talking with Misha from the Ajara Tourism Board, and he was saying that one word, and maybe others, has (laughs) six consonants in a row. And I'll try and say it. Brudgivnis. Brudgivnis. How do you spell that? B-R-D-G-V-N-I-S. Wow. What does it, it mean? It means to rip something apart. I need to get that word into conversation at some point. If anyone listening to this manages to get this word into conversation in the next week, do let us know because I'll be incredibly impressed. Yeah. You were saying you went to a video? Yes. And we stepped out the car. And there were these three men dressed in these beautiful, elegant, black, uh, sort of velvet jackets, mm-hmm. which went down almost to, to just above their knees. And they started singing. And I think you'll get to hear some of this on the outro. It's going to be our outro for the time in Georgia. But it was just some of the most beautiful singing. And we had a meal there. We had uh, hachapori. We had some regional specialties. And throughout the meal, amidst many toasts, there was a lot of singing with a lot of joy from these three singers who are part of a very popular traditional polytonal singing group. So very excited to to share some of that with everyone mm-hmm. listening. I look forward to listening to that. So where have you got to now? How far on from Batumi are you? We cycled for two days so far, it'd be me and my mum. The first day was pretty flat, not too far. Yesterday, it was a bit of a different story. We did 115k, which is a pretty Ooh, big day. That is a big day. It was raining and then the last 15K were uphill solidly and steeply and it was grim. Ouch. <laughs> and my poor mum thought that she had come on holiday. Turns out it was boot camp. Did she have to listen to your moaning or was it the other way around? Mostly she listened to my moaning when I started swearing. But even at the end, my mum had a bit of a sense of humour faded when she was like, the climb goes on still. <laughs> I can't do this anymore. But we did it. Um, and big, big credit to mum because she's awesome. So since you've been in Georgia, where have you been staying? Have you been enjoying the luxury of hotels or have you roughed it and camped yet? Um, so we have actually camped uh, last night. Is this your first time camping this year? Yeah, it is actually. First time I've got the tent out and to my shame, really, because we had a very beautiful night next to Potty, which is right on the Black Sea, uh, watching the sunset down Mm. on the beach. And we had quite an odd time, actually. We had a fire in the evening and just me and Mum and I were just chatting, having a DMC Mm -hmm. and enjoying that kind of peace and quiet. It was a bit of a contrast to earlier, which wasn't nearly so peaceful. Because we're beginning to set up our tent and this guy called David comes along and he's maybe in his 50s. He's got really nice kindly face, black trilby hat and a black jacket on. And he sees that we're camping. He's like, oh, what are you doing? I was like, oh, well, we're camping. And this is all happening in Russian. And he's like, well, no, you can't camp here because it's going to be too cold at night and it's going to be really dark. Why don't you come upstairs to the second floor of this Mm -hmm. building? 
uh, this sort of old derelict building. And I'll, you know, I'll show you this room where it's going to be much warmer and there's a there's a toilet that still works and there's a tap. And it was all fine and well and good. And we sort of looked around and there'd been this beach festival that had happened. So there was a beer counter that was there and there was some sort of fun murals on the wall. And we're like, oh, that's really nice. But actually, we're, we're okay camping. We, we've got warm clothes. And so we go back downstairs. He's like... Mm-hmm. No, 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 like come back upstairs. Let me show you around. And he, he gets out this fold out bed, kind of puts it in the room and he starts putting, you know, some cushions on it. It's like, look, there's the bed for you. And we're like, oh, that's, that's really kind. And we then go back downstairs and he comes along again. And, like, and you know, by this time, we're just wanting to sort of cook some food. We're looking to sort of wind down for the evening. Mm-hmm. I want to go for a run. And he's like, Luke, 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 come up, come upstairs again. And he takes me into this other part of the building. And he's like, look, there's this dog. And there was this dog and there were eight puppies, okay. which was super cute. It was one of these very funny things where David was just going to great lengths to try and be as welcoming and helpful as possible. And we were just wanting a little bit of peace and quiet. And so that is is one of the beauties of traveling. It's one of the stories that comes from it, but it can also be frustrating at times. Mm. We've been asked a few questions about you and camping. And given that you have now been camping this year at last exactly so s neville 88 asks how you secure your stuff whilst you're camping how do you make sure it doesn't get stolen yeah i think when i started camping and i'd like to say i have done a lot of camping particularly through 2020 rather than 2021 at the beginning i would always lock up my bike for instance Mm -hmm. and i would be you know keep a, a close eye on my camera my phone and my wallet as time has gone on, and I think I think there's something about generally being countries that are slightly less densely populated than, say, Western Europe, where there are like lots of walkers and joggers who will just go through a forest, so you're more likely to be disturbed. Mm-hmm. But I've come to the conclusion that actually no one at all wants a tandem bike, and particularly a pink and blue one. True, it's quite noticeable. Yeah, and I hope I don't end up sort of regretting saying this, but I tend to feel that actually the chances of stuff getting nicked are are pretty low. If you're around the campsite, you're kind of keeping an eye on stuff. But I'd say my rule of thumb when camping Mm. is that it's, I tend to sort of camp out of sight where you're not going to get seen or sort of attract attention. Mm. And to me, not being known about in the first place is the probably the safest way to avoid those sorts of problems obviously it didn't work with with david and we we're on an open beach but so picking yeah. your spot and then we were also asked by monkey hero 08 what's the longest period of time you've gone without showering oh this is um this is a good one it's one of my weak points i do love a shower it was one of the sort of mental blocks I had to sort of get through, particularly on the first three months of the cycle ride back in 2020, just accepting that I wouldn't have showers and learning to sleep, feeling kind of slightly sweaty and yucky. Mm-hmm. That was a bit of a learning curve for me. And after a while, you realize you can get to sleep and next morning you actually feel quite fine. I think it's about five days off the top of my head. I haven't been sort of keeping a rigorous track. I have a sort of cheats way of doing this and because I do like to wash. So I often camp near a stream or something and mm-hmm. have a bit of a bird bath in there. Yeah, it's cold water. But for me, that's more than adequate. I feel just like very fresh and clean afterwards. And that that puts me in a better frame of mind and helps me sleep better. So if I don't have a shower, then I'll often find a water source of some description, just sort of a quick, quick splash off there. 
Last week, I asked you whether you'd been for a swim yet in the Black Sea, given that you'd been cycling along the Black Sea, and you said that you would let us know this week. So, Luke, crunch time. Have you made it for a swim yet? Right. Well, let me share this little audio with you. My final night in Turkey, down to the waves, and this is what happened. I'm now right on the shores of the Black Sea on some rather large stony shingle. There's the main highway behind me and I'm staying tonight with a guy called Morat and he has this beautiful eco self-sufficiency cabin by the side of the highway and also the Black Sea. It's my final night in Turkey and what better way to spend it then to come good on my promise to Kate and to everyone that I'm going to go swimming. Um, I'm now right at the water's edge. It's quite cold. Just some splash <laughs> under my feet. It is February. Probably not going to take my phone all the way into the water, but I'll see how far I get. I'm going to have to pop it down somewhere. Here it goes. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> all right, the phone almost <laughs> went in. I think I should... Uh, <laughs> probably put it back (laughs) (laughs) so you did it i'm so pleased you did indeed make good on your promise and you finally left it to the very last minute final night in turkey but you did go into the water i did indeed it was pretty bracing pretty chilly and i was very glad to get out the other side and wash off the salt under a freshwater bath But it was cold and then warmed up by Murat's very hot wood-burning stove. It sounds like the last week's been a bit of a change from what you were used to. You know, you spent quite a while in Turkey. You had got used to travelling through that country. And obviously now you're somewhere different, but somewhere that you're able to speak Russian and you're able to talk to people. I imagine you've got a lot planned for the weeks ahead or a lot will end up being planned for the weeks ahead. What have you got to look forward to at the moment? Yeah, absolutely right, Kate. There's a hell of a lot that's hopefully going to be happening in Georgia. Some amazing organizations that make such a positive difference in their communities i'm super excited to to visit them i'm so excited to visit tbilisi it's a city i've been wanting to visit for years and years it's been pretty much at the top of my bucket list so that's one of the most exciting things and i'm going to be cycling there with my mum and i wonder if we can get her on this podcast for next week that would be great so if there are any questions peeps want to ask my mum then we'll see if we can get her on and see how she's found these these last few days yes do send in your questions via instagram or via facebook to bristol to beijing for luke or for jenny for luke's mum and we will see if we can get jenny on the podcast next week will you be in tbilisi when we speak to you do you expect i hope so yeah that's very much the plan and there's a lot of hills coming there's a hell of a lot of climbing and it's meant to be quite wet so it's not going to be an easy few miles to get to tbilisi carry on watching and following on social media and you will see pictures of luke as he's traveling through the rain and up the hills on his way to Tbilisi. And it's now time to hear some of the beautiful polytonal music that I heard on my second night in Georgia. And that was this week's episode. I really hope that you enjoyed it and thanks so much for listening. We put a lot of time into the podcast, so please do support us by subscribing, reviewing and rating. And please send in your questions that you have about any aspect of life on the road to Bristol to Beijing on social media. Until next week, 
Goodbye.